As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Seven fifty-five is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty is on the air now. Welcome back to 755 is Real. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer at The Athletic. And for some reason, uh, I'm with my co-host. Not for some reason, I'm with my co-host. Eric O'Flaherty, my co-host. Former this Braves reliever. Get, so. No, but I was going to say, for some reason, like the last four or five times we started the show, Dusty like knows we're starting the show and jumps in my lap and does this shit, man. Just and, like, like just a kid. annoys the hell out of me for about three minutes. Then falls down, usually rips the phone, the headphone cord out of the thing. And goes along doing her thing. All right. Anyway, um, well, a whole lot happened, uh, but not a lot of baseball <laughs> in four days in uh, New York. Man, I I haven't recalled a week. I can't recall a weekend quite like the one that we just spent. At one point, when we got there yesterday, Monday, at about and there she goes without ripping my phone cord out. When we got there yesterday morning, like ten a.m. Uh, Monday, I figured. I had been in New New York for like uh, for seventy two hours and seen five innings of baseball. The team had been in New York since Thursday late Thursday night, early morning. So they'd been in another twelve hours and and but five innings of baseball. Made up for that yesterday. Played eighteen innings a game, uh, eighteen innings of baseball and a doubleheader. Split with the Mets in the doubleheader. Win the series two out of three. And I guess it says a lot about where the Braves are because the fans are still pissed. But you know, are just not pissed, but just not satisfied. You went two out of three from the Mets, and I know probably part of that was Acuna getting hit in the shoulder and in the first uh, at bat of the game two and leaving the game. Anyway, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, well, that's what you're trying to do. You, you know, we talked about it a million times. Sweeping on the road is yep. hard, but yep. taking two out of three out of this team. I mean, you pick up a game, you took care of business. Um, the thing that sucks is you kind of lose your off day with that whole how all that plays out. You don't get that total day of decompression. But either way, going in and taking two out of three from from the Mets, I mean, I'm satisfied. Yeah, they uh, and it's some it's crazy with the, obviously the New York weather uh, tends to be like this early in the season. Uh, there's so many cool days, so many rainy days up there. We've got we had two doubleheaders there last year. We're going to have two doubleheaders there this year because they're going to have to make up the Saturday game as part of a doubleheader in August. Mm. So it, it probably won't be uh, rained out, but it, we can guarantee it'll be hot and sticky. But um, anyway, it's uh, it, it's a good time to face the, – the schedule worked for the Braves well this year as far as facing the Padres both series before they got Tatis back, face the Astros uh, without Altuve, and face the Mets, at least this first four-game series, without Scherzer, who was suspended and was going to come off the suspension for the series finale. But when those two games got rained out Saturday and Sunday and messed it up, did so he could not come back because he got to serve the 10 games. Right. So he, he will come back Wednesday. Um, and they faced him without Verlander, who's going to make his debut Thursday. So um, for the most part, they took advantage of the, the, the Padres. They should have won more games against them. Uh, well, the Astros swept them, so never mind that. But taking you know two out of three from New York up there is probably of all those series is the one that's most important because coming down the stretch, 
we can almost guarantee it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a dog fight between these two teams. And also the Phillies are probably going to be in there. And the Phillies can't look past the fact they get Bryce Harper back. Yeah. Tonight, 160 days after having Tommy John surgery, which to me is amazing. And I know he's not coming back as a pitcher. He's not even coming back as a position guy. Initially, he's going to DH. But still, that is pretty incredible. For a guy that's been through TJ, can you imagine coming back and hitting Major League Pitching um, 160 days after having TJ? No. The the benefit for him is he throws right-handed. So yeah. he's swinging lefty. And that when you swing and tuck that that rear elbow, that's where you get that pressure on the uh, on the joint. When it, when it kind of um, – your shoulder kind of rotates externally and your elbow leads. That's where that pressure would be. Him being a switch hitter, it's his front arm. Right. So it's not as much stress on it. You know, that that would be the hard thing for me is I throw left and hit left. So hitting left would still uh, right. put pressure on that joint that I wouldn't like. Yeah, he's pulling a Chipper Jones uh, late career move too. No rehab assignment. <laughs> he's done that a lot of my favorite game. things I ever I ever watched in my career. And one of the favorite things I've covered, because when we asked him, when we asked, I remember asking the manager, asking, uh, what, Bobby? Or was that Freddie? I forget. It was Freddie, I think. Yeah, Freddie. It was 12, asking, right? Yeah, asking Freddie. Yeah, Bobby was at Tamas was last year. Asking Freddie, um, is he going to go out of rehab time, Freddie? Uh, when's that going to start? Oh, no, he's not going to. He's not do, taking one. <laughs> and he did that a couple of times late in his career, a couple of injuries. But uh, that was after a longer one, I think. And, uh, yeah, he did, it's not going to take a rehab time. And he gets in there and. <laughs> well, he so he that was he tore his meniscus at the end of spring training. Just I think he was yeah. just walking. <laughs> he was just getting old. And I think he was just turning around or like a light jog or something, and it just went. And he did. I think you know you have the logic or the mindset at that point too. He's like, if I mess it up, right? Who cares? I'm almost right. done. You know, he's not working on playing ten more years, so he's not worried about doing it right. And he's Chipper Jones, man. He can hit anybody. And, and we, I think he, he homered first game back, right? Yeah, he did. He made a great play, too. No DH stand. So he was coming back and playing yeah. third base. Barehanded the ball at third base and hit a homer. Yep. It's like, yeah, you don't need a rehab assignment. Yeah. Uh, just real quick, let's talk about the uh, yesterday, even though the biggest thing of the day was Sean Murphy's incredible two-homer, six-RBI game in game one. The guy had two three-run homers. He's just been phenomenal. And I'll – I'll uh, I'll underscore what I said earlier. I think that move is going to be move the biggest the trade yeah. of the offseason by any team mm-hmm. and the biggest of the Braves in recent memory. He's better than he's better than you expected. He's better than I expected. And they have him when Darno goes down. Because if they had not made that trade, William Contreras would be catching just basically every day. Him and Chadwick Trump would be handling yeah. the catching right now. Yeah. And um I don't know if anybody's been paying attention, but the Brewers are actually happy with Contreras' catching up there. Said he's improved a lot, the catching. But to have some idea of how good a hitter that Sean Murphy has been, Sean Murphy leads catchers in basically everything. Remember when everybody wanted to get Real Muto? Yep. He's he's leading them in basically everything. He signed for six years. Um. <laughs> He's a beast. As Seitzer said, he's like uh, Nick Marcakis, a no-nonsense warrior. And great handling staffs. Every pitcher on the team lauds his handling of the staff and all the preparation he does and everything. But where he's far surpassed our expectations is as a hitter. I thought he was going to be a good hitter. He hit 25, 30 yeah. homers maybe in a, in a more hitter-friendly park than Oakland. I mean, I knew he had big power, that he's a really good hitter. But – He's by far the best hitting catcher in the majors right now to this point. I know it's one yeah. month, but a little over a month. But the guy's hitting 282, 413 OBP, 647 slugging, and 1,060 OPS. I, I So what I think is just it gets underestimated what, you know, how much a uh, pitcher's part can hurt your confidence and, and make you press and, and create bad habits, trying to put a little bit more on it. You know, I mean, it's, it's baseball is all about being smooth and, and swinging easy, throwing easy, staying within yourself. Yeah. And you fly out to that warning track in Oakland a few times, all of a sudden you start swinging harder. Maybe you run into one, but you also run into like a double play ball, loops, you know, popping out to the, just bullshit at bats because right. you're trying too hard. Right. 
And you, if you look at the AL West, you got Safeco or T-Mobile Park in Seattle. That's that's a pitcher's park, even though they move the fences in. Ball goes nowhere in LA at night. You got Oakland. That new Texas park is huge. And then the Astros is hitter friendly. So right. you got one hitter hitter friendly park in the whole division. You come out to the NL East and pretty much everything's pretty fair. I mean, City Field's kind of big, but Philly's tiny. Truist is fair. I bought flies at City Field though on most days. Yeah. I mean, I especially the left. yesterday. <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe center. You know, it's tough, but they move the fences in. Right. And Murphy's, I think a couple of Murphy's homers went to where they moved the fence in. They might have gotten to that that first couple rows, but um just what what that does for your confidence of knowing I don't got to swing hard to hit it out. Right. Now your your balance is better, your timing's better, your effort level's more in check, and you become a better hitter. Like I watched what happened to Beltre when he went to the Mariners. Yeah. And then when he left, and I think he's one yeah. of the best examples ever. So he uh going back to home runs, he's got eight homers. No other catcher has more than six. The, the you know what the funny thing is of this, this coincidence. Second, he's tied for second on the list on home runs, or in second by himself now, is uh, Shea Langoliers. Really? Traded to Oakland the previous year's trade for Matt Olson. He's got, and, and he's another guy you think of defense first, Gold Glover. He, he, and Murphy is a Gold Glover, AL Gold Glover. Shea Langoliers might be one very soon over there. He's got six bombs, and uh, Langoliers got six homers, and uh, – Cat just stepped on the damn thing. Langoliers has six homers, 16 RBIs, but he's only hitting 222 with a 286 OBP. That's the thing with him that the Braves weren't sold on. Knew he had big power, but weren't real sold that he'd ever be a high average, high OBP guy. Um, he's got 26 strikeouts in 90 ABs. But again, they'll take what he's doing for sure with uh with the with the defense he's getting, and he's getting a great chance to play every day and really develop out there. So that's good. But Number three, tied for third on the list in home runs, another former Braves prospect, Christian Betancourt, who I had given up on. I mean, I didn't think this guy was. Where did he wind up? Tampa Bay. Really? Yeah. He's got five homers this year, man. Again, not a guy who hits. He's hitting 250, 303 uh, OBP, 870 OPS. He's having a hell of a year. I mean, good for him because I sure thought he was done. You but, never know when it's going to click or, or what, you know, what coach organization combination works out for somebody and they get hot. But right. definitely, I mean, you knew he always had the talent. Real Muto, he's having an okay year. He's fine for him by his standards. I mean, by most catching standards, a great year. But, I mean, he's in 280, 302 OBP down for him, 782 OPS down for him, three homers, 10 RBIs. And he's catching basically every day, just like he always does. He's uh, 26 games. He's played overall. He's got 100 AB, 100 ABs. He's got 15 more ABs than Murphy, and uh, what less than half the home runs and RBIs. So anyway, just saying. I hope people fully appreciate what Sean Murphy's doing because this guy is in his first season with a team too, in a new league, new team, catching all new pitchers and has to focus so much attention on learning his own pitchers, which I think makes everything he's doing doubly doubly impressive. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what he's doing at the plate on top, because that's not that's the secondary job. What he's doing, his primary job, and what the Braves tell him is catching every day, especially while Dono's out, and knowing and handling this pitching staff. And he's done a terrific job with that. So I always love throwing to guys like him, just big, bad, no nonsense dudes. You know, it's like they put yeah. those fingers down and you, they usually call more aggressive game, more fastballs in. Uh, they challenge hitters more. Those guys, you know, like Rossi, I always click with those guys. Yeah. And he's doing a great job of that. And that's what that's how everybody describes him, too. On top of being a big dude. Yeah. <laughs> he's felt like a tank, man. Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
we we voted yesterday for player of the month and pitcher of the month and rookie of the, rookie of the month and reliever of the month, and I have never seen it more close than I could recall for both pitcher and player of the month. I mean, you literally could choose between like five guys in each of those categories in the NL. It, I, some of the and even reliever of the month, Bednar and Hater stats were almost identical, right down to the appearances, the saves, the strikeouts. I mean, it's crazy how close everything was, but. Player of the month and pitcher of the month. Um, I don't mind. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always hesitant to vote for a brave guy uh, if if it's real equal because I don't want people call me a homer. But I voted for Cunha and I don't mind admitting because I thought he's been tremendous. But you could, I could have easily voted for Murphy, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and there were several other guys, uh, Pete Alonso. Uh, I mean, there's quite a few guys on there on this list that uh, had tremendous months. Uh, in yeah, the Polar NL. Bear got himself in shape this offseason. He, he looks a lot leaner. He really does. Brandon Marsh has had a great month. Uh, Araz, Luis Araz uh, with he Miami. Is. I know he doesn't hit for power, Araz, but my God, he's hitting 438 with a 500 OBP and 1,051. When you're OPS and over 1,000 and you've got one home run <laughs> yeah. for a month, you can put the barrel on it. Yeah, that's Tony Gwynn like, man, yeah. doing that kind of hitting like that. Uh, Max Muncy, huge month for Max yeah. Muncy. Uh, but yeah, there's just a ton of guys on there. But I voted for Cunha, uh, who uh, his stats are a little better now than they were before yesterday because he had that first game yesterday with great first game. He came a triple shy of hitting for the cycle in the first game. But right now, Cunha is hitting 363, 450 OBP, 584 slugging, 1,034 OPS. The guy's got. 10 doubles, five homers, 15 ribbies, leads the majors in runs scored with 26, leads the major, leads the NL in hits with 41. I mean, it's just doing everything. And stolen bases, oh, leads the majors with 13. Nobody else has more than 11. See, for me, that's just, it's just crazy to have the power he has and be leading the league. Just to be doing what he's doing and leading the league in stolen bases is – only been caught two times, too, out of thir- 15 yeah. attempts. So let's get a little bit to that. Yesterday, what happened, what transpired. Uh, man, first of all, that home run that he hit. My God, it was so long <laughs> that the camera guy never panned up. He mm-hmm. lost it where it was because he went to the spot where home runs always land out there. <laughs> yeah. And he's showing the first deck and the bottom of the second deck. He never even like went, oh, it went higher. He was just like, I totally missed it. Where did it go? It landed in the third deck. Guy yeah. in the front row of the third deck up there by himself. There were only about 50 people up there in that section. Yep. And because it's just, I mean, it's way up there. And it wasn't the place wasn't packed yesterday by any stretch. But uh for the doubleheader game one. But it was a monumental blast. And it was estimated at like 450 or whatever. Come I'm on. so sick of that shit. Come on. <laughs> I mean, it was one of those where, like the one in Boston a couple years ago, where you knew uh, Ozuna, Ozuna hit it. Yeah. yeah. Where you knew it was close to 500. This one yesterday had to have been close to 500 feet. It was uh, just a blast. I don't want – I mean, just lie to me. You know, if I don't care what your tech is or your Doppler or some shit you're using to, to decide that that's exactly Doppler. How, Maybe we should go Doppler. Whatever they got. Just <laughs> tell me. weather radar would do it. Better just, job of it. Just lie to me and, and tell me it's 520 because that's what it felt like. I think, we, I think we could visually guess better sometimes than what the, yeah. f- the figures are giving us. Now, the ones that land pretty close to the to the fence – and up in the you know the tenth row, whatever. I think they're pretty accurate on most of those because I think they do a good job of representing the arc of the ball, where it's going to land. But I think it totally throws them off when it lands in a second or third deck. Yeah, they're trying yeah. to guess how much further it would go by the by judging whether it's this arc, this arc, or this arc. You know, and I just don't think they do a very good job with that at all. It really throws them off, like balls that land up on top of the chop shop. Yeah, in in it the chop house. I mean, in uh, at, at Truth Park. That's third deck as well. Totally throws them off. The figures comes back. You're like, huh? 430. What? Yeah. Nobody's just, ever hit one there. That's like two balls that have ever been hit there. And you're 430? That, that's what I don't understand is when it's a ball you've never seen hit. Right. Right? Because this was left center. I've seen. Left center. Hit, not even left field third deck. Chipper B, hit B one third deck. Maybe Chipper B, and Freddie hit on third deck up there. 
Yeah. So left BP, field. you might see it like in that first thing or whatever left yep. field line, you might see it once in a while, but left center. And it's, I mean, you can't tell me the, the it's got to be 410 to the ground straight down from that upper deck at least. Right. Right. So right. you're telling me that ball only went another, like you can underhand throw a ball 60 feet. Right. You're telling me that's. Right. So they're trying to basically say that it was such a high arc, I guess. It's coming straight down, they say. But it wasn't. But it wasn't because then the arc would have had to have been like 60 degrees or what. <laughs> anyway, I'm not I'm not a, an expert on geometry or. Uh, I'm not either. It's probably exactly right. But I'm, <laughs> no, it's not. I'm freaking sick of it. <laughs> I want to I want to hear that ball was 525. Because we all want to be we all want to be rewarded when we see something that we've never seen before or rarely yeah. seen. And we want the figures to represent it. So that's yes. why, that's why I like when a guy hits one, like in Colorado up on that concourse or like the one that Gaddis hit up on the concourse in Philly. Yes. To the left field where the bullpens are in right field. He hit it over to left field in the concourse and you hear like four seventy eight or four eighty five. You're like, yeah, that's what I want to hear. Damn it. Yeah. Don't tell me a number I've heard before. Don't tell me, you know, somebody hits one in St. Louis over the bullpen and it was four fifty nine. <laughs> OK, this ball was a hundred feet high still in the third deck in left center field. Don't tell me some bullshit number I've heard before. Or the ball exits the park at Dodger Stadium, you know, goes over everything, you know. Yeah, I want to hear something that representative of that. It's like I covered I'd rather hear 600 feet. Than, than I covered Big Cat <laughs> Galarraga's epic mammoth historic Grand Slam off Kevin Brown at Old Joe. Oh, Robbie yeah, Stadium, I remember that one where they had the upper decks tarped, right? Yep. It was the biggest home run I've ever seen. And I saw uh, Mark McGuire's longest one, too, was off the Marlins at Old Bush Stadium. It was the longest was during the home run chase year, and it was the longest one he hit that year. And both times, we got a figure that made you feel like, yes, I saw something historic. Because the figure on the on the Kevin Brown the Galarraga home run, and I'm not even sure it's accurate. It might have been too long, but it was. I don't want it accurate then. But it fits what we saw <laughs> because when he hit it, I literally got out of my seat and went, "Oh shit!" Because yep. it was like we've never seen anything like that. I thought it was going to leave the stadium, and that's a football stadium. Because mm-hmm. it, and it did land two thirds of the way up the tarp. If you go, yep. if you Google it, you'll see it. I've and seen that. And the ball had so much spin on it. That when it landed, it went up, rolled another five, six rows, and then came back down, right? And then uh, they announced initially like 580 feet or something. We're like, that's like one of those Mickey Mantle estimates from back in the day where they like, they've got the ball, fell where it rolled to it stopped, and they yep. said 650 feet. But, uh, and then they, like two innings later, they gave us a new estimate. This was back when they were doing it uh, kind of by hand. They had every ballpark had a diagram that showed every spot of the park beyond the fences, even beyond the stay the stands. And they had, and the person doing the school, doing, uh, doing the measurements had to choose between three arcs, line drive, middle arc, and a right. high arcing thing. Assign the ball, one of those, take it to that spot. And it gave you a figure. That's how they did it, which was probably more accurate than what they're doing now with all <laughs> the technology. But anyway, they, they re they re uh, configured it a couple of minutes later and they made the official estimate 529 feet and it still stands out like that's what that should be over 500 yeah. feet and then the Mark McGuire one at uh, Bush I think they called it like 540 545 feet I think that's what it went officially down as which would make sense because he's he's on steroids and he's right. five and he's jacked. right he hit it to the you remember you, you went to old Bush right old Bush yep. Stadium Okay, uh, they no, had, the old one. Okay, it was those multi-purpose round stadiums, right? So the second deck, it's a football stadium. So that second deck is way beyond the outfield fence because it's made for football and they have to bring in and I mean, so it's the second deck has a facade, goes all the way around, and we're in the second deck of the press box behind no plate. Well, this was the facade straight out from us to center, just to the right of center. And he hit the facade. He hit a St. Louis Post Dispatch sign on the on the facade, which was way beyond the batter's eye in center field. And the ball just glunk. It just made this loud sound, and everybody's like, "What? Gee, are you kidding me?" Because it was just ridiculous. And uh, yeah, the estimate I think was five forty nine on that or something like that. Something crazy. But- well, he hit the back wall at the Kingdom too, and I think they said <laughs> five thirty eight on that, but. I don't. Know. I just. I want to hear. A, I want to hear a number like that when I see a ball hit that I've never seen before. 
Bowman and I saw uh, Vlad Vlad Senior hit one off of uh, Hampton at the Olympic Stadium in Montreal, and there were probably six thousand people there. All year, those kazoo's and all that shit they had, whatever they call those things that they blow. You know, in Montreal, it was it was weird. And uh, he hit one off of Hampton. And it was a line drive home run, like to left field, and it hit some kind of metal something up there, and it just made this sick sound that just echoed. And it was like if you were the pitcher, you'd have been like, oh, "Okay," <laughs> you just hung your head and walked off the mound. <laughs> but it was just destroyed. Do you remember the one uh, Adam Dunn hit off of Jurgens? It went it went past the concession stand on the concourse, oh, yeah. right center at Turner Field. Oh yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Man, but this home runs in that category that these things were all right. The ones that, that you remember forever, range. you know, yeah. and you'll remember that Acuna one because it was third deck. I'd remember it a lot longer if it was five fifteen. <laughs> exactly, you know, because <laughs> people will ask you how long was it. I was four forty eight, and people will be like, "So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was better when they were romanticized." Adam Dunn, the big donkey man, he hit some blasts. He hit a ball off me. I didn't need to look at. <laughs> just as soon as it left his bat, it was so clean and pure, and just so much power going into it. He's yeah. so big. He was I mean, huge. When, you, when he's in the box, he looks like he's forty feet away from you. And that he's ball was like huge. displacing air when it flew out. I was like, yeah, just put my glove up. Give me another one. Up, <laughs> <laughs> Sky. We got to wait till it lands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't look. I came in the dugout and I. uh you know, I had a good outing overall. I just gave up a solo homer. I came in the dugout and I said to Derek Loas, he kind of gave me a look like that was a big one. And I said, did it go upper deck? He goes, come again, upper deck. He goes, it almost went over the upper deck. <laughs> the uh, He was kind of a forerunner of today's player, by the way. Remember, he used to get ripped for, for striking out so much. Yep. But he walked and he had a decent OBP. Yep. I mean, he would be praised today in today's game. Yep. Yeah, he was a – I didn't like facing him, you know, because he was pretty patient. And there was no DH. Today he could be DH. He used to stand out in right field. Yeah, he'd be like Nelson Cruz and play to his 45. Or left field, whatever he played. Um, anyway, that was like – he was like a former uh, uh, Texas football quarterback recruit, Adam Dunn. He just, he's a good athlete, just bigger than everybody. Yeah. Just um, an oversized human. What do we got? A couple people. I'm looking at the comments. I forgot to turn on the comments today. So now I'm looking at them. Um, I know a lot of people are really upset about, uh, and, and we get this every time with Acuna or anybody just doesn't get retaliated on. Let's just set this up. First of all, uh, Acuna yesterday was tremendous. In the first game, he goes three for five, single, double, 448 foot homer. That was more like 500 foot. Um, Majestic drive, 114 off five off the bat. And that followed a two-run homer by Kevin Pillar, by the way, against his former mm-hmm. team. Pillar, Pillar did the pulled the old team card, as Snick calls it. So back-to-back jacks by the Braves, kind of put them in control that first game. Then they hung on to win 9-8 to because the bullpen struggled a little bit. And uh, and uh, and uh, Strider did not have a typical game for him. Strider's streak came to an end yesterday. We'll get to that real quite fast. But anyway, Acuna. So after that huge game he has in the first game, which he let off in the hit again, a double. I mean, it's just ridiculous how good he is leading off games. But so the f- game two, lead off at bat first inning, he gets behind 0-2, fouled off two fastballs from Tyler McGill. Then Tyler McGill hits him with an 0-2 fastball, 93-4 in the left shoulder, flush in the left shoulder. I mean, to be honest, I thought Acuna was just going to hold it. I know it had to hurt. But I wasn't really worried about it being a lot because it wasn't the hands. It wasn't the face. Yeah. It wasn't the elbow. You know, it wasn't a joint. So I thought that's going to sting, but he's going to be okay. You know, and it's not even his throwing his shoulder. But uh, he uh, he went down to the ground. He was in pain. And the trainer came out and looked at him for a while. It was a couple of minutes. And uh, he, he left the game. I thought he was going to stay in the game, but he left the game. And uh, they did some x-rays. They were negative. After the game, they had him go and make sure do some imaging before he, he flew to Miami, and uh, MRI showed nothing. So that's good. So we know there's no fracture or anything like that in there. Which that'd be really hard to fracture a bone there with a hundred miles at the top. You know, I mean, you got your shoulder blade coming. Yeah, in you at got the, the scapula. Thing, so but you could see, close. right? But yeah. you could see that it wasn't there. That's right. Or it could hit a collarbone or something, but it was right there. You know, you could see the replay pretty clear. And he's not. You know, he's got some muscle there. He's not a skinny dude in upper body. Uh, 
But anyway, so he leaves the game, and and I understand it totally because he's having, uh, especially what he's gone through, the injury history, him being back, him being off to an incredible start, uh, MVP caliber start. I told you I voted for him player of the month. I mean, uh, he's having a year everybody's been waiting for, doing everything. Yeah. So for him to get hit, it scares people because that's only a few inches from hitting him in the face and ending his season, you know, potentially, or something horrible. So, but, but everybody wanted the Braves to retaliate and they get pissed when they don't retaliate every time it's Acuna. Okay, let's look at a situation, first of all, and you explain this a lot better than I can, but I'll just say it's leading off the second game. The Braves bullpen is already stretched thin. I know they had two days off, but they've not been pitching well lately. You got Charlie going second game. It's the first inning. Okay. He hasn't even thrown a pitch yet. You're going to have him retaliate right away and get tossed from the game. Well, that's what sucks now is that the umps don't do warnings anymore. Right. Right. They could tell they'll toss Charlie if he retaliates right away. You know, he could be crafty and do it later in the game. You should get a shot at him back. Um, Or you could wait and have one of your relievers do it later in the game. Then I don't know if it sends a message or what it sends, but you could do it. And you're not throwing him at remember at the pitcher. You're throwing at somebody else on their team, obviously. But you could throw at their best hitter if you wanted to do that. But you also have to look at it. Was he throwing at Acuna 0-2 to start the game to put him on base in front of Matt Olson? I, I, I don't know. To me, it didn't make any sense. I thought he's trying to get in, go inside on Acuna because they all try to get him off the plate because that's the only thing they can do. Otherwise, he kills you. And a pitch gets away. It's not it's Tyler McGill. It's not the greatest pitcher in the world. Yeah. I didn't think he was throwing at him, but I but if you're the Braves, you might want to throw at their guy anyway, just to say, okay, even if you're not throwing at him, you better be more careful. If you're going to go exactly. inside, it better be with guys who can throw inside, like the Marlins used to do against him. Half the time, I don't even think they were throwing at him. A couple of times, those idiots were throwing at him. But a couple of times, it was just not very good pitchers hitting. But even if McGill wasn't throwing at him, the Braves probably got to send a signal by throwing, at least going inside, making their guy know, hey, we're not just, you can't, you got to be careful with our guy, or we're not going to be careful with your guy. Uh, For me, you 100% hit somebody back. And it can't be obvious. But right. Th- th- so this is my thing about it. I don't think he was throwing at Acuna. I don't think he was trying to hit him, but I don't think he was trying not to hit him. Right. And that's the thing about today's game. And, and what you have to do as a team is if you're going to pitch him inside, and this is the message you send if you're the Braves, you could pitch him inside. That's fine. But you better not hit him. And if you're going to, especially because everybody, when they go inside on him, they try to go up and in. They don't want to be belt in. They don't right. want to be. Right. Down and in. It's up and in, up by his face. And that's dangerous. It's dangerous, up by his shoulder. And so. Because everybody throws 95 now, you know? Everybody throws yeah. gas now. <laughs> and for me, the message you send is we don't care if you did it or not on purpose. If yeah. you hit him, we're hitting you back. And that's what keeps that's what keeps it on us. And that's what keeps when, when their catcher's got a guy coming in the game that might not have that control, but he knows he needs to go up and in. He might think twice about it because somebody on our team is going to get smoked if, if, Acuna gets it here. And for me, I you don't do it obvious. And there's always the, you know, you don't do it in an obvious way, but there's going to be a chance where you're, you know, in a one-one count or something like that. And yeah. You can hide behind the same excuse. If your catcher sets up in first pitch of the game and you smoke the first hitter, you're probably right. getting ejected. Right. But the umpire can't, they can't exactly. reason that in the third inning when Alonzo comes up, you know, with with yeah. runner on third and two outs or something like that, and you smoke him, that it was 100% on purpose. Right, they can't eject you there. So it can't look obvious, but for me, you absolutely have to do it. You got to tell Acuna we got your back. You got to send yeah. that message to him. And you have to, to protect him, you have to tell other teams that, fine, if you're coming in there, you better yeah. not hit him or we're hitting you back. And it's going to be your best player too. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, and it's 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 too, it's almost too coincidental when it keeps happening when he's done something against the team previously in the series, or in this case, in the game before that, when he just destroyed him and they couldn't get him out, you know? And then you started off with, with, and like I said, I don't know whether he's throwing at him or not, but he's trying to get him off the plate, you know, because he, he doesn't think he can get him out if he doesn't get him off the plate or, you know, keep, get him a little scared or whatever. But it's Tyler McGill, man. I mean, if you can't throw inside with command, then you don't do that because you can't hit a guy up there. You're too close to the head. Um, and, and Snit has to send that signal, I think, because he's his best player. 
Acuna's best player. Yes, you know, possible MVP. And even with all the shit Acuna does that drives some people crazy and pisses off some old school people and all that, you still can't hit my guy, man. I don't yeah. care if he does this stuff. Snit doesn't approve of all that stuff either, but he lets him do it because the game's changed. But that you can't let that color whether you hit the, hit somebody for their team or throw somebody at their team, whether you think it was justified from an old school perspective or not. And I'm not saying that's what Snit's thinking. I'm not trying to get in his head. I'm just thinking, I mean, I'm just saying sends a bad signal to Acuna, to the fans, to that kind of thing. If you don't retaliate after your guy, you know, your guys, your guys showy, man. He's flamboyant. Okay, but everybody, but there's a lot of flamboyant players. It's in the, the game, game now. You know, he's if he was the only guy that. doing that. And he's an extreme in that, but there's a lot of great players that are flamboyant. The Braves yeah. saw some this weekend. Yeah. Um, you know, Francisco Lindor's flamboyant. Yeah. The Braves didn't throw at him. You know? Well, he does that. I think the only thing that could be maybe a you know, perceived as a disrespect is that, um, that two yeah. little sign. Yeah. You yeah. Know, that's like, a new thing. Uh, Ronnie Ronald has picked up so many things from basketball I know. that don't necessarily even work in baseball. Yeah. Now they're great when he does them. They're funny. They're entertaining, they're funny, but-, but they don't really work in baseball. You know, like when he does the silencer, he did yeah. the silencer at home. at home. It's like that. No, that's not what the silence is for the home crowd. LeBron did it and shut up the, the visiting crowd. <laughs> but it was funny because Acuna did it. Um, and then and even even uh, LeBron laughed at that. But then that thing, the low thing, it's like, no, you're too short to guard me. That's all that means. Yeah. Well, I mean, as a pitcher, it's like it's basically <laughs> it, him saying you don't have enough. You don't have, you yeah, know, you're exactly. not good enough to get me exactly. out. Exactly. And whatever. If like I said, if, if it was 10 years ago, I'd be like, ooh, you're gonna get smoke for that. Right. But everybody's doing all kinds of shit now on both right. sides of both teams, whatever. I don't think that bothers me. But what I think happens is especially after that first game, he goes three for four. You have a pitcher's meeting before that second game. Yeah. You know, and at least the catcher and pitcher meet. And if you watch Acuna, you know you have to make him uncomfortable inside. It's a cycle with him. Every 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 season he's had that I've watched, he starts getting like this, and yeah. then somebody smokes him, and then the outside corner's open again. And it's yeah. it's like it just it keeps repeating itself. He'll get on a tear where he's hitting balls five fifty or four five fifteen, what I think, and going two for three, stealing bases, and and basically just running all over people and. Then he gets smoked, and you watch the next watch the next week or two after this and see how he hits. Yeah, you know, when he comes back, he's not going to be diving as much. And the thing I think about is if you look back in like the seventies and eighties when you got stood up every time you got a knock. Yeah, how much harder it was to hit back then when this was oh. just it was just a free for all. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it was just a different game, man. And people get outraged today when guys throw up and in, and or much less when they hit them. You know. But those they guys can do it with control all the time. I they mean, Roger Clemens music without hitting you. Pedro, Roger Clemens, those guys always retaliated, man. Yep. Or most of the time. And going back to the Bob Gibsons, I mean, they just you got knocked off Bob Gibson. You were going to sit down on the third next yeah. to bat with a ball. If he didn't like the face. way you looked at him. You got to hit off him. You didn't like the way you won. You know, you you handled it. He's going to get you off the yep. plate. It's just the way it was. So, um. But uh, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I, I hope Acuna's back in the lineup today. This, it's day to day. I think there's a chance he's in there today because he just destroys the Marlins. Yeah. So I'd like to see him hit down there and get over this thing real quick and get back up. I don't want to see him this interrupted. You know, we keep seeing Acuna rolls interrupted because I, I want to see him put up epic numbers over the course of a season, stay healthy because he's off to that kind of start. And he's had a couple of home runs lately to get him back on pace, too, for that. For 40-40, you know. I mean, he's at five right now after the first month to go with those 13 stolen bases. I mean, he could have a historic season if he goes like, you know, uh, 30 homers and 80 stolen bases. Well, and that's what that's where protecting him comes in handy, too, is it actually gives him a chance to hit better if teams are afraid to go up there on him. You know, yeah, I mean, it's, absolutely. It's, absolutely. Yeah, I understand your point. Yeah, that's what... And that's the signal I think Snit's got to send, man. I mean, yeah. But anyway. And it's always, you know, for me, the thing I didn't like was it was always, you always waited for the right opportunity. And then that opportunity never came. It's, you play the team again and and then you've forgotten about it. But there's yeah. always, there'd always be these incidents early in the season. And yeah. Yeah. You know, it, oh, it didn't, we, the games were too close or this happened. And then it goes. And then by the time you see him again in August, it's all calmed down. You've forgotten about it and you move on. 
uh, for me, it's like you got to do it. Yeah, that game, that game, and you're and you're right because in August they're going to have another doubleheader. It's going to make it a, a five game series, I think, a four game. It's going to become a five game or something like that. Anyway, it's going to be an extra game, so you're going to go into that thinking, okay, we can't do it in the first game and go right away with our bullpen, you yeah. know. And and if you do it like in the eighth inning of game one, what signal does that send? Yeah. Well, you get you know, an extra in roster August. guy, call somebody up and just it, get, let him get ejected. In August, yeah. Oh, you know what you could do? It's going to be the 27th. You're going to have a 27th man for that doubleheader in August. Call some flamethrower up from doubleheader. Yeah. <laughs> let him get yep. knocked out of the game and send him back. In. But you got to put him on the roster if he's not on the 40. So, but uh, – yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how they handle this thing. But uh this see that four that series is a three gamer that's gonna become a four gamer in August. You play them uh yeah, you play them and you play them home and away in August. But anyway, you play them again in uh oh we got uh you got the Mets again here in June. In June. Yes, yeah, so you're not gonna have to wait that long. You got a month. You got June uh sixth through eighth. In Atlanta, yeah. And there you, know, you the, go. The, the main the, the main point though is that he could have got hurt there. You know, you got lucky yeah. he didn't. But what if he did? You know, you don't want to wait until a guy gets hurt to start protecting him. Right. Okay. Um, what do we got? A couple of questions here. Oh, somebody said that EY was on that '97 uh, Rockies team. What were we talking about? The what? What were we talking about with the Rockies? Oh, maybe he's talking to another fan about something. I don't even know. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, oh, he's talking about Big Cat. Yeah, Big Cat, Big Cat's homer. I, I think that was ninety six. Yeah, that was ninety six. That was the home run chase year, not ninety seven. Marlins uh, won it in ninety seven, but ninety six was the home run colossal steroid home run chase year. Guys, let's take a quick break, and then we'll finish up the show. Anyway, yesterday's doubleheader, the set, uh, Strider's streak ended. He had nine, cons- he had nine st- strikeouts or more in nine consecutive starts, including like every start this year until he had the huge strikeout game, uh, in his last one. But he, uh, that ended yesterday, one strikeout shy. He gets off to a rough start in that game against the Mets in game one. Uh, but I really loved the way he limited the damage because it got a lot worse on him. Yeah, those and, outings sometimes you get more out of. Right, right. He ends up with eight strikeouts. He struck out like uh, four of the last six guys he had to to get it to there. But he was at 107 pitches after yeah. five innings. So if you're Snit, you're not even tempted. I don't you're think not to bring over him back. some record. No, that was a career high. He's thrown 106 yeah. pitches last year a couple of times, but that was. And I six think he more. had to ask to go back out there for the fifth. Yeah, he wanted to stay. He wanted. He, felt, he said he felt great. He could have kept throwing all night. Told Snit that before the fifth. But, yeah, he finished his strong, retired the last six guys he faced. Uh, he just had a rough inning there where he was walking guys, gave up the bomb to Alonzo. Um, the first time through, he really avoided damage and showed me something with the way he avoided damage uh, and struck out Alonzo on three sliders. Yep. But the second time, he faced him twice with two on and none out, and the second time Alonzo got him. he tried. Did to he get, get him on a slider? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, he it was third and fourth pitches were both sliders. He crushed the fourth with the, the second slider of that. He hung one to him. Did you see that? Uh, I don't know, maybe the All Star game or something. But Alonzo was talking through at bats, or he was mic'd up in a game. It made me appreciate him more as a hitter. But he was talking really in depth about what he thought the pitcher was going to try to do to him. Uh huh. And that's, I mean, that's a sign of a great hitter. Is he probably was ready for that slider, that second at bat, maybe yeah. hunting it. Yeah, I mean, after you strike him out on three. He's going to three go there swing at a three the first time up. But you'd be surprised how many hitters are like, well, now he's going to challenge me with right. fastball. Right, <laughs> right. Know? He doesn't dare throw, keep throwing that slider to me. Yeah. Um, Strider struck out four of the final eight batters he faced, finished with eight strikeouts, ends his streak at nine straight starts with nine or more, franchise record, Brooks Smoltz's record. He was only two starts from matching Nolan Ryan's record of 11 straight games with nine and when you're matching Nolan Ryan records and I know this is a much more uh strikeout prone game now than when Nolan Ryan pitched I know that so you got to take that into account nevertheless there's a nobody else is doing it you know well, the I'm mean, not doing it it's a more strikeout game prone or strikeout prone game too because there's a lot more guys throwing 100 miles an hour right 
Right. And you got to stay healthy enough to do it too and not, yeah. not leave in a game or have one bad outing. So he'll have uh, a pretty good shot at, at touching that record, you know, in the next again. Yeah. I would think so, man. Every time the guy goes out, he's got no hit stuff. You know, every time. Yesterday was the first time I've seen him where he even looked fallible in quite a while. I mean, yeah. yesterday was not him. And he said it, but he put it together and uh, and really finished strong. So I think he'll be fine next time out. Um, These outings are important, though, because you never know when that day is going to come where you don't have your stuff. And right. it happened in the playoffs last year. Yeah. And it, so every time that it, it, this is better for him to have these outings and he started mixing in changeups yesterday, but to learn how to battle. I mean, you don't learn a lot having an invisible fastball. Yeah. The uh, four runs allowed ended another stretch of 12 straight starts in which he'd given up three runs or fewer. Yep. That dated to his last time at City Field in August, mid-August. Alonzo, three-run homer, did most of the damage. Era went from 180 to 257. Not bad. Strider leads the majors with 55 strikeouts in 35 innings. That's the most strikeouts in franchise history by any Braves pitcher through his first six starts or six games of a season. What was, what was, what, what'd you uncover in that article? I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but about his fastball and the work he put into it. Oh man. What did I talk about in that? Uh, I'm trying to think about what he, what are you talking? Oh, he's talking about his extension, the crazy extension that he gets. And, uh, and I got into the release point stuff we've talked about. But his extension this year, because I told him, I said, man, you because know, he he knows all this stuff. You, you're not right. going to inform him of anything he doesn't know about. But his extension last year was like the longest in the majors or tied for the longest, even though he's five to six inches shorter than the other power pitchers. He's yeah. extending further. But last year it was like six, nine, six, 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 nine, point nine feet, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, that's how they express it at point nine rather than inches. But this year, he's been over seven feet quite a fit. He said he averaged one game like over seven feet. So it's That's longer insane. this year. He said, now, if it gets much longer than that, then I'm doing something wrong. He goes, if I get like seven and a half, then I'm, <laughs> then I'm jumping. Yeah. You know, I'm jumping. Yeah. So he knows not to try to just get it too far just to get just for the sake of getting it there. But he understands, you know, perfectly how when he released the ball, he's like a foot closer than some Most really guys. good pitchers like Verlander, for instance. I was five like, foot five. Huh? My extension was five feet, five inches. Wow. So he's two feet closer to the plate than you were. Yeah. And I mean, it, the number one thing they've been talking about in baseball is moving the mound back, you know, things like that. Right. As far as like how to make pitchers not so effective. He's, he's a foot closer than Verlander, even though he's five inches shorter than yeah. Verlander. Yeah. Verlander's got a short stride. Yeah. And he's 5'11", by the way. He's listed six feet. And I asked him, he said, no, I'm 5'11". Yeah. I wouldn't admit that. <laughs> those those thighs, I said, dude, do those your massive quads, dude? Does that help you with the extension? I would think so, stabilizing, you know that. He said, yeah, that's part of it. Uh, but he talked about, oh, the thing he got into in the thing was his. You you'd appreciate it. The the language he uses to describe the rotational, the in inner and outer rotational forces, he understands exactly how that is what allows him to throw so hard and get that extension, because he read about how if you get a locked front foot, a firm front foot, as, as opposed to landing on a soft front foot, then it creates, and the rotational, your hip rotate, rotates, it creates this kind of a catapult effect. Yep. And he described that and how that's what he's tried to perfect, which he has, you know, and that's why he's able to throw so hard and get that extension and still be in complete control, you know, and not lose his mechanics or anything. It's yeah, pretty he fascinating. Works a, he works in a straight line down the mound too. Yeah. And you know, that's mobility, being able to get into those positions to take all right. your energy directly toward the plate. I always had to pull off because I just wasn't flexible enough. Right. And that video of him working with Moylan, you know, yeah. it shows because Moylo can't even get one third the <laughs> Moylo's busted. <laughs> right. But even at his best, Moylo said yeah. he could have done that. Yeah. But it's crazy what he can do with his legs as far as extending them like uh, like a ballerina, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's a muscular pitcher doing this stuff. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he gets so much muscle mass doing. I mean, he must lift too, but. Yeah. I don't think many people that, that there's ever going to be many pitchers that are willing to put in the hours it takes to get that on top of the hours it takes throwing and doing all the other stuff you have to I just don't think there's many people that are that are willing to do all that work. 
Yeah, you got to be obsessed. You know, yeah. a lot of times it's a guy that doesn't have a family yet. <laughs> yeah. You know, where you're you're able to think about this 15 hours a day. And, and he just, did. It's the only thing on your mind. TJ might have been the best thing that could have ever happened to this guy. Because he changed so much in his downtime, in his year. He didn't waste a day in his TJ mm-hmm. recovery. He absorbed everything you can about the technical aspects of pitching and dieting and all that, becoming a vegan for inflammation to, to reduce inflammation because he wasn't happy with the inflammation, how he felt when he was recovering from TJ. Has he converted anybody? Any, are there any uh, converted not on the team. vegans on not, the team? Not that I know of. I don't think I remember any danger of that. <laughs> One year, this guy, uh, kept James, he was for the Astros, had had really bad sleep apnea. And he came back with them and was throwing 98, and they were talking about it in the playoffs or something like that. I ordered a sleep apnea machine that night. But they wouldn't send me – they only send me the mask. They wouldn't send me the CPAP machine. But I was like, oh, good. I'll try that if it makes you throw hard. I'm, I'm surprised nobody's jumped on the, the vegan bandwagon or tried to pick up on Strider's routine. Uh, somebody just informed me 98 was the home run chase year. I don't know why I thought it was 96 the year before. The I was thinking run. it was 98 or 99. 98. Yeah, 98. Um. And, and and the Kevin Brown home run, that was 96, the year before okay. the Marlins won. Oh, the big cat home run off of him. Yeah, I mean, some guys were probably dabbling then, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there, there, there was about a decade there where it was quite prevalent. And I'm not saying big cat was. I'm just saying, yeah, there were a lot. A lot. It, it's crazy, though. Like, I was thinking about this. I saw it was Judge... Alonzo and Cespedes were the guys that got brought up that had gone third deck at City Field in a game. And I was like, you know, Cespedes is freaking jacked. He's huge. Yeah. yeah. Judge is big. Alonzo's big. To be hitting. And so when those guys hit homers that compare to steroid error homers, you know, it's kind of like, okay, that adds up. But it's still hard. It, it, it's it's so hard to appreciate, but it's so cool that Ronald can do it at his size. To be no, hitting these no balls, doubt. that I mean, how many times has he hit the hardest ball in the game? No doubt, it's almost like almost every game. There are anomalies. There are uh, uh, unicorns that come along. He's like Hank Aaron, that was under two hundred pounds for most of his playing career. He's about one hundred and ninety, you know, and just year after year after year, hit thirty-five to forty home runs, forty-four yep. home runs. There, there's no other. I mean, you, you can't get that way just getting jacked or whatever. No. You're born you that can't way. manufacture that. No. Right. And what Acuna does, as, as Sice described it, as the most explosive hips on the planet, you're blessed with that, man. And then yeah. the wrist, I mean, the hand, the hand strength. He's got really strong hands for such a, a relatively average sized guy. He's got strong hands and wrists and yeah. quick, just quick, fast twitch, you know? It's just, just I mean, you're right. I mean, unicorn is the only way to put it. Cause if you took, if you took to 10 million people his size, I yeah. told them to try to hit a ball where he right. did. He's probably right. the only guy doing it on earth right now. Absolutely, man. You couldn't get it to the warning track. Right. 99 out of 100 yeah. guys can't get it to the warning track. He's what, six foot, 205? Ronald? Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Maybe 210 now. Most people be lucky to hit it over the fence at that size. Um. Oh, yeah. Somebody did point out good. The Mets had a good approach against Strider, taking close pitches and fouling off balls, just like the Phillies in the playoffs. Only thing I would say is the Phillies that was a that was a uh, Strider coming off an injury, and he was not sharp against the Phillies, yeah. uh, and and he lost. Remember how he dominated early in that game? He lost Velo pretty quick when yeah. it, when it went when the game fell apart on him because he had not thrown in a, in a month. So, right. yeah, I think that one of the big home runs was on a ninety-four mile an hour fastball. Right, and Strider had said after that uh, big strikeout game against the Marlins. And and because and, and, like I said, he is such a technician, and he said they helped a lot facing an aggressive team like that. They they helped him swinging at so much stuff early, it kept mm-hmm. his pitch count down. So he went eight innings. You know, mm-hmm. said it helps a lot facing again. And, and I said, yeah, the Mets aren't like that. He goes, exactly. The Mets are a lot tougher to face. They got guys that work counts. So yeah, and that's what him, happens for him. I don't even know how you pitch the contact. Yeah, I mean, like if you're if you're a, a control guy with a 93 mile an hour cutter or sinker, it's like I'm just going to fill up the zone with strikes down in it. But I don't know that he can throw a fastball that he can just get a ground ball on. You know, I yeah. mean, he tries to he's two zero and he throws a fastball right down the middle. They're swinging through it. Somebody said he's a new new age Billy Wagner, Billy Ball yeah. Wagner. I think that's a good comp, and the Low size high. is similar. Wagner's a little bit taller than him. I think somewhere between uh, Kimbrel and Wagner. Those yeah. the, there's a lot of those two guys in him, yeah. Except as as Skip uh, 
Schumacher to the Marlins said, it's like facing a closer for eight innings. That's what the Marlins, I mean, there's nobody else in a game like that. DeGrom doesn't go eight innings, so he doesn't count. Well, you just don't see too many starters with, and uh, yeah, you can't emphasize it, it's an unhittable fastball. I mean, you see relievers come in like Edwin Diaz where they can be 2-0 and throw it. They can aim middle of the plate, still get a swing and miss and just yeah. overpower hitters. But the fact that he can do it for an entire game is – right. And we've talked about how he came along absolutely at the perfect time, too. Perfect time. Mm-hmm. When all these other power pitchers are like 6'3 to 6'5, they're throwing downhill more, more down an angle, and all the pitters, or a lot of them, have adapted this launch angle swing to combat that. Yep. And it totally works against them when they're facing Strider. Because he's coming, he's five foot eleven. Yeah. He's five foot eleven, and he's getting a, f- a foot further out down the mound. So he's releasing at a lower point, too, even lower because he's five eleven, and he's getting another foot of extension. Yeah. So it's got, in effect, it's got like a, the ball's rising, even though it's not. It's just not going down. So, but the yeah. hitters are not used to hitting in that plane at all. And that's why you just repeatedly sweep, like you, you. They, they know they're getting a fastball. They still swing through it. Right. You know, most hitters are not going to try to adjust their swing to face pitcher. Exactly. You can't do it. Most of them can't do it anyway. And they'd be screw themselves up, you know, by trying to do it. But those guys with the play that have the swing in the plane that keep the bat in the plane. The one that always comes to mind with me was McCann. He used to keep it in the plane for a long time. Freddie. Yeah. Can do that. But McCann long time, you know, just keep that barrel in the zone forever. Barrel in the zone forever. Those would have been guys with I think would have had a better chance against him. But you know, if you think about the, just the just an amateur, you can think about what the ball does when it's just when it's it's like a it's like a laser beam when he throws it. It's like because yeah. it's not coming downhill. And these guys have, a, have with the launch angle swings, you're trying to swing up, which you would be doing on a down on a pitcher with a downward angle on say yeah. you're trying to swing up. And meet it ha- right at the right time when his thing's coming in at 99 miles an hour flat and you're trying to swing up and connect with it. That point of contact is really small versus when you're swinging on the same plane as the pitch. Yeah. And it's like you said, nobody's going to change their swing to to try to, you know, swing dead flat for one game. And that'll just mess you up. But, right. you know, I think about it. For me, it reminds me of Mariano Rivera's cutter where it's like, yeah. yeah, I think I told you this before, but I my first season with the Mariners, we go and you know Rivera just shuts us out, shuts a game down on us, and I'm talking to Raul after the game, Raul Ibanez, and I, you know, I'm 21. I said Raul, why don't you guys just sit cutter? He's like, we're all sitting cutter, buddy. Our eyes lie to us. He goes, <laughs> the ball gets halfway to the plate, and our eyes tell us this is the trajectory of this pitch, and this is how much it's going to cut. Right, we swing where we think it's going to be, and where our eyes tell us it's going to be, and the ball cuts an extra five inches. Yeah, every time you can't like you can't you can't swing where your eyes tell you the ball is not going to be. Right, and I think you know Striders. I thought that was one of the dumbest things I ever said. I think because it's like you don't think these major leaguers are right. Everybody knows what he throws, but I think it's the same concept with Strider, where it's just you you've trained your eyes on thousands and thousands of pitches and faced however many pitchers. For everybody else, the ball is going to have this certain amount of, of drop to it. You know, it, gravity's yeah. going to take its place, and there's going to be a downward angle. And if you see the ball here, your eyes tell us, you know, it's going to be here. And you line your swing up, and you've trained it. you got this muscle memory, your hand eyes built on how a ball normally travels. And then all of a sudden, this ball doesn't drop. Right. You see a ball right there. You swing where you swing and make contact every other pitch you face. And this one just jumps up two inches, and you're under it. And there's, I don't know what hitters can really do. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this evolves over time because I, don't, I, I think he's got a chance to go on a incredible run for the yep. next several years. Yeah, where the game is right now, where he is, what the type of pitcher he is, just got to stay healthy. And so far, he's not locked up yet. Oh yeah, he signed that dig last last year that's after right. the regular season. That's right. Yeah, nice deal for the Braves. Nice deal for him too. They yeah. got him early. And with a yeah. pitcher, you know, you you worry more about, especially right. he's already had one Tommy John. I'd take that security. But if he hadn't, that price would be going very high. And and just talk, you don't you could talk to him one time and come away going, okay, there's never gonna be a chance that this guy's 
ever going to slip as far as motivation. He wants to be the best and he wants, yeah. he wants to keep pushing himself to get better just yeah. for the, for the pursuit. That's just he, how he, he is. Loves, he loves it. He, he loves it. it. Yeah. He loves it. Those are the guys you watch out for when you're doing those deals are the guys that hate baseball and just wound up being really good at that it. are just really good. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And then they get some money, they get a family, they got other things they enjoy doing. Yeah. So anyway, all right. Um, McCat is interrupting me again, and uh, I think he's signaling that we're front out of time. And Marlins got uh, Braves got three against the Marlins before they come home. And at least they know the games are going to be played down in Miami. I tell you, I saw something. Uh, who was it, Joel Sherman or John Hayman? John Hayman wrote something about how uh, Cohen had looked in the Mets owner had looked into what it would cost to build a retractable roof on there. Cause, cause they're, you know, they have like this big series against the Braves and it's like, it was a total washout Saturday and Sunday, yeah. you know, and the crowds were much smaller during for the doubleheader on Monday than they would have been for this, those weekend games. So Cohen looked into it. You know what it would cost to retrofit that place with a dome? A billion dollars, 800 million. So yeah, yeah it would end up being a billion, right? Yeah. Um, as opposed to if you did it when the stadium was built at that time, it's going to go up some with inflation, but at the time it would have been an additional like 125, $150 million. So you're talking about like five times as much right now, you know, Jesus. even with inflation for, but that makes sense. Cause if you're building it all at the same time, cause to retrofit something like that requires so much engineering that, and, and in addition, they said that the other, the other complication with that area is the, the, the ground is supposedly soft. That's right there, you know, by the bay, by the water. Yeah. So the ground is soft, so they would have to do all kinds of infrastructure things to hold up the dome on top of it. Not yeah. to mention, where would the Mets play for a year while they did it? Couldn't I don't, do it. I, what Couldn't I don't do it in one offseason. No chance. It'd probably take two or three years. What I don't understand is why, you know, you know what T-Mobile Park has in Seattle. Right. It's open park, but they have a roof on it. Right. And it's like a carport. It yeah, it, it, like a carport. It rains there so much, they have right. to have it. But right. I don't know why you'd build a new stadium without that option if it's only an ed- another 125 mil. Right. I know. I was talking to Bowen about this yesterday. It's like as much as we, enjoy, we, we, there's nothing better than being at a ballpark on a beautiful day, a normal ballpark without a roof. They're building ballparks, the re- retractable roof ones now, so different than they did like when they built Toronto's, for instance. Right. They're building them so different now that when the roof's open, you can barely tell they're even a retractable yeah. dome. Cause yeah. it kind of gets out of the way and all that. And they have open sides, you know, like yep. Miami's when Miami's roofs open, that ballpark's beautiful. Yep. When Houston's roofs open, that ballpark's nice, man. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Seattle's when their roofs off, you could barely tell there's even a roof. Yeah. So I'm with you. I'm like to, in today's game in about 20 of the 30 cities, you could argue there's reason to have a retractable dome, whether it's extreme heat, the desert, mm-hmm. you know, the desert, Texas, extreme heat, whether there's extreme heat, extreme rain and heat like Miami, Tampa, extreme cold at the start and end of the season, both Chicago teams, both New York teams, Minnesota, you know, I mean, before you look at it and you can even argue Atlanta with the heat and and everybody but Southern California, everybody but the California teams really could, could, could stand to have a roof. Yeah. And you would have, if you made it a requirement going forward, obviously this would take like a whole generation to have for new stadiums to come in. But just think about how much easier it would be right now if you had no scheduled, if you had no rain out doubleheaders to make up, no sitting around for three hours. It happens every year. Broadcasters filling air, you know, with boring replays and all that. Just how much easier things would be for everybody. It, it happens every season. Every, at the start of every year, there's all these messy rainouts, and it, it messes up your whole schedule. So once in a while, you get lucky and you don't have any of it, and it's amazing. But for right. the most part, you can book that you're going to have like five makeup games by the end of May that you have to go go and get. And you're going to have one of these years if Colorado ever gets good or, again. Minnesota, if they get real good, they can't win a playoff series. But one of these years, one of those teams is going to advance like to the ALCS, NLCS, or the World Series, and you're going to have a snowstorm because yep. they've had them that time of the year during the World Series in those cities. You're going to have a snowstorm that's going to like wipe out the World Series for a week. I can't believe Minnesota didn't put one in. 
I, it's unbelievable. And so far they've, they've skirted, they haven't had any real disasters. They had one year where they had to make up a lot of games, but other than that, but they're going to have a snowstorm that's going to wipe out a whole week of the schedule. And just imagine if the world series had to, <laughs> you'd have to move. What do you, you can't play the world series in a neutral site unless it's the mm-hmm. pandemic, you know, but no team's going to yeah. give up those gates. So anyway, you'd have to push it back a week or, but yeah, you yeah. can't retrofit these stadiums with them because teams have to play somewhere for while you're doing it. And the cost is just so exorbitant. So, but yeah, city, they just built. Yeah. And it's nice too. I like city field, man. It's That's so much better part. than the new Yankee stadium. So much better than the new Yankee stadium. The Yankee, new Yankee stadium would be great if they weren't $700 tickets. It's antiseptic. I think it's just boring. Yeah. But yeah. They priced the out. Atmosphere all the- sucks. I mean, that old Yankee yeah. stadium, the atmosphere was crazy. Right. They they priced out the leather lung working class people that made the atmosphere great. Yeah. It's a total corporate atmosphere now. Yeah. It's a shopping mall. Yeah. Anyway. All right. That's it. We went longer than I said we would go, but good stuff. Appreciate it. Thanks everybody for the comments. That was nice. Look over there and get some of that stuff. Uh Eric agrees with you. And I agree after especially after listening to Eric, that you got to retaliate. In that situation, whether he was throwing at him or not. All right. Yep. That's it. 755 is real. And it always will be real. The real home run king. We're out. Mm-hmm.